Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hey Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombus, we've always said our socks, underwear and t-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Join us for a journey as we go back to the great civilizations of the past. Who were the people? What were they like? How did they begin and how did they end? Let's find out on episode 59, The Lost Tribes of Israel. Previously on The Fan of History, the Assyrian king Shalmaneser V conquered Israel. What will he do with it? Dan, can you answer this question? Yes, I can. But first, the king of the week, we already mentioned him, it's Shalmaneser V, the king of the Neo-Syrian Empire and of Babylonia as King Ululayu. Um, we also should mention Ahaz, the very diplomatic king of Judah, who is surviving all of this destruction by being... Um, a pro-Assyrian kiss-ass king of Judah. <laughs> so he's just, uh, whoa, Assyria, you are so great. Oh, good that you took care of the evil guys in Samaria. And he probably doesn't like the uh, Israelites in Samaria because they used to fight him. So right. we are standing in the ruins of Samaria. The conquest is total. Shalmaneser V and the Assyrian army has taken all of Israel. It's gone. It will take 2,700 years for Israel to return. And what do the Assyrians do with conquered people? What's the Assyrian policy for conquered peoples that could cause trouble? Well, usually you kill them all. Oh, yeah, that's very rare, actually. Oh. Very rare. It's okay. only Ashurnasipal II. Oh, that's right. I'm thinking of... People want to imitate him. Right. I'm thinking of our previous conversations. But, that um, would be an easy solution to the mystery of the Ten Tribes, right. the Lost Tribes of Israel. They were all slaughtered by Assyrians, but they, they weren't. So well, what do they do then? Um, take them as slaves. And not very often, though. They, we will talk about... When we get to the 7th century BC, we'll do some episodes on Assyrian society. Because there are slaves, of course. There are slaves in all ancient societies, but they are not as numerous as, for example, in ancient Rome. So taking people as slaves are not very interesting. The Assyrians want to make everybody an Assyrian and grow the empire. 
So the policy here is an old one. It has probably been around since even the middle Assyrian Empire. Deportations. You take some troublemakers from one end of the empire, you move them to the border at the other end of the empire, and then the enemy will identify them as Assyrians, and they will have to fight for Assyria to survive. So there are massive deportations of the Israelites. And this is where we will deal with the lost tribes. Uh, I hate the way that Sargon II creeps into these episodes. Sargon II will take over this podcast entirely. This will become the Sargon II show for at least <laughs> 10 episodes very soon. And he is trying to steal all the glory from Shalmaneser V. We talked about this in the last episode. And he even in his stales, he talks about all the people he deported from Israel. But it was probably done by Shalmaneser V. There could have been a second wave of deportations by Sargon II. But we'll talk about that in future episodes. But these people that were deported from Israel, they are the lost tribes of Israel. Of the original 12 tribes, only the tribes of Judah and Benjamin remain under King Ahaz in Judah. Being pro-Assyrian, they survive them. They're also members of the Levi and the remnant of the Simeon tribe in the southern kingdom. So they kind of survive as well, but the, the bulk of Levi and Simeon are in uh, Samaria or in Israel. And if you Google the lost tribes of Israel, you will find a thousand crazy theories. <laughs> yes, yes, do it. It's yeah. incredibly interesting. Oh, I've, I've seen, I have seen a lot. There have been shows and books and everything. Trying do you to remember any crazy theory? Um, that there's supposedly a lost tribe that are Ethiopians. Okay. Like, um, you know, there's a, they, they found this one actual tribe of people who worship similarly to, uh, old Judaism without yes. actually being exact. And they were thinking that they were one of the original. There are tribes. in Ethiopia. Yes. So, yep. That's one of them. I'm trying to... I can't think of any of the crazier ones offhand. I'm sure you have a list. <laughs> I just went to uh, the musical Book of Mormon, yeah. which was translated to Swedish as the first translation language, which was very random. So they set it up in Stockholm. And when I came out from the musical, which was great, mm -hmm. uh, there were Mormons out there. And they were giving people the Book of Mormon, saying that now you've seen the musical, now read the book. Uh -huh. And I was so convinced that the, the Nephites, the Jews that appear in uh, the U.S. in the Book of Mormon, uh -huh. that they were deported. They were from this, they were among the lost tribes, but they actually left um, uh, later. Huh. Okay. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. But uh, one theory is they are in the Americas, and in some theories they are still lost and will come back someday. God knows from where, from space perhaps. They were taken up to another uh, another dimension, Dan. <laughs> so for entertainment, go check out the crazy theories on the internet about the lost tribes. But we will now solve this by okay. looking at the sources. What okay. can serious history tell us? And 
since the birth of the nation of Samaria, of Israel, in 884, with Omri as the king, the Old Testament is a fairly good source, a surprisingly good source. We have been surprised constantly since the 19th century when we started to discover the Assyrian sources, how well they play with the Old Testament. And uh, 2 Kings 17.6 says that uh, the lost tribes were sent to Assyria, and the Assyrians settled them in Hala and Habor, the river of Gosan, and the cities of Madai. And this is like, what? Where did they go? Hala, right. Habor, the river of Gosan, and the cities of Madai. So let's look at these places. Habor and the river of Gosan, this is pretty clear. It means the region of the upper Habur River near modern Kabur on which stood the cities of Gusanu, today it's Tel Halaf, and this is in North Syria. So here we have it in the Bible itself, saying that some people went to Habor, the river of Gosan. Uh, the cities of Madai is probably Media, and we know the Medians quite well, right? Remember Assyria versus the Medes? Yep, the Medes, oh yes. So this, this is the border region in the Sagros Mountains in what is today Iran. This is a traditional problem area of Assyria, and this is a typical place where the Assyrians would deport hostile people. So put them on the median border, so then when the Medians show up to fight, they will have to fight these uh, Hebrews from Samaria, and not the Assyrians. And they will blame, they will, <laughs> they will, the Medians will consider these Samarians as Assyrians. So, yeah, two flies with one stone. <laughs> Uh, and uh, this will not stop the Medians, because the Medes will uh, still have their time in the sun, as anybody who has read ahead knows. And now we will get to cover that as well when we go past 71 BC. Uh, the last place mentioned in Kings then is Hala. This is less clear. There is a place called Halahu in the Assyrian inscriptions. This is located to the east of the Tigris in the general area of Erbil and Kirkuk in Iraq. And it's a pretty good candidate. But if the, if the lost tribes are deported into the empire, which seems natural, there should be evidence of Hebrews in Assyria, right? So let's look, let's look for such evidence. There is the post-biblical book of Tobit, this is a piece of literature that describes the adventure of a Jew deported from Israel by Shalmaneser V to Nineveh. And this guy has trading relations with other Hebrews in media. We find a lot of evidence of presence of Hebrews in Assyria. There are, from this date on, Hebrew names occurring in Assyrian sources, in Assyrian letters, and they have not appeared to this extent, before 725 BC, uh, there is a prominent guy called Halbishu, who is labeled as a man of Samaria. And he's mentioned in a letter written from Gusano, right? The place where we thought they were deported. Exactly. And it was found in the ruins of Nineveh. There is a script from Kala in Aramaic. Remember, Aramaic is taking over as the language 
as the written language because it's, it's super easy as the spoken language because it's super easy to speak and now people are using Phoenician letters to write Ara Aramaic which is much easier than writing Assyrian in cuneiform. And in this script from Kala, written Aramaic, there is a guy called Menachem ben Elisha. Mm, pretty Hebrew name. Yeah, I was about to say. Menachem. Yeah. Uh, Josephus himself, the famous historian from Roman-occupied Israel, says that the majority of the ten tribes elected to stay beyond the Euphrates when in the 5th century, Israel made known to them Artaxerxes' decree returning their, uh, regarding their return to Jerusalem. Because the use of uh, Jerusalem will be captured by the Babylonians in the 6th century. And then they get to return to Israel and to Jerusalem. But uh, some of them decided to stay. Uh, and in reality, there is no reason to think that the majority of Jews who remained in the East did other than gradually assimilate to the local population. The Assyrian Empire is notoriously good at assimilating people. Uh, I love the <laughs> immigrant policy of the Assyrian Empire. It's like, aggressively go out and take people and make them immigrants in your country. <laughs> and then give them opportunity to become Assyrians. So assimilation is a part of the Neo-Syrian Empire. And they really love it when people come to the empire. Like, can we stay in the empire? Of course you can. You just have to protect this border from the Medians. <laughs> right. All you got to do is defend it with your life. That's all we ask. Oh, you also have to go on this yearly campaign and you oh, have to true. worship Asher, the god of war. But you can also worship some other gods because they are also aspects of Asher. So right. that's okay. Uh, so I think it's pretty clear what's happened to the lost tribes. They are, they eventually became assimilated into the Assyrian Empire. But if we take so many Hebrews out of uh, Samaria, out of Israel, we need to move somebody in. To make up, to make up this new Assyrian province that will not rebel. Uh, keep your fingers crossed. <laughs> right. <laughs> Good luck. And we we have evidence of this from the Old Testament itself. In Second Kings seventeen twenty four, it says that King of Assyria settled deportees from Babylonia and Syria in Samaria and other cities of Israel. And we will find out why in upcoming episodes. Why are there people that are treated as hostiles in Babylonia and in Syria? But we will see why <laughs> very soon. So after this massive importation of people into Samaria, you would have a nice mixed population that has to be obedient to the Assyrian king. And today, now I'm going to get controversial here, but if you look at uh -oh. the... Uh, if you look at the people who are not Hebrews in uh, Israel today, this is one of the places they came from. There are other sources of non-Hebrew people in, uh, in Israel as well. This is definitely one of the sources. It was deportees from Babylonian Syria. And uh, Sargon II will, of course, claim that he did this. Uh, it wasn't Chalmanes V, and this time he might be right, because... Moving people into Samaria would naturally occur after moving people out. And we are very close to Sargon II now. 
Sargon claims that he removed 27,280 Israelites from Samaria to Assyria in 722 BC. And this could have happened in 720 BC. And in that case, it was Sargon II who made some sort of second wave of deportations. So then we have the question then, what do we do with this pretty powerful kingdom now in Assyrian province? It's centrally located in a troubled area. If you control Israel, you control the path to Egypt, you get access to the Mediterranean, which they already had then the Assyrians in Phoenicia, but you don't have to deal with Phoenicians. Sargon II will claim that he rebuilt and enlarged Samaria. He brought in people from conquered territories. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. So then we have to look at archaeology. And if you, uh, there has been excavations at Samaria, at the old capital of Israel. And there are clear signs that there were Assyrian destruction, destruction by Assyrians in the 8th century BC, we have zero, none whatsoever, Assyrian buildings from this time in Samaria. And we think that's because they were all destroyed during the Hellenistic period. But it's troubling that we can't find a single Assyrian building. So what do we make these forced immigrants do then in Israel? Well, they bring their gods and uh, the Assyrians are okay with gods, as I said, right. because they are all aspects of Asher. And then you get this nice mixed polytheistic religion that the Assyrians like. And so we could assume that the Assyrians are behind this, that they encourage people to build temples in Samaria and stop the, the return of monotheism, if there indeed was a strong monotheistic church in Samaria at the time. Uh, the, of course, not every single Hebrew was deported. 
But uh, we know that the Hebrews that remained, uh, they will, against the teachings of strict Yahvism, install statues of alien gods in Samaria. And when Sargon II later has to deal with the rebellion in Samaria, he mentions the gods in whom they trusted <laughs> when he crushes the rebellion. Yeah. So now Samaria is nicely polytheistic the way the Assyrians like it. Uh, and one of the gods that Sargon II takes in this later rebellion is Nergal, uh, which is the city god of Kutha from Babylonia clearly showing them the presence of defeated Babylonians in Samaria. Uh, and um, these are, remember in the, the New Testament, you have the tale of the good Samaritan? Yes. Yes, so that's uh, probably first to people from this era as well, or people who uh, originated in this era as immigrants by Assyrian power. And I think the religious pollution of Israel, this polytheism that symbolizes perhaps more than anything else, the final fall of ancient Israel and a material threat to neighboring Judah because Judah is still uh, worshiping Yahweh as their main God or as their only God, still very controversial. We have some more archaeology here. Uh, the original capital of Israel, the capital that Omri started Israel in, was Tirsa. And in Tirsa we can find level 2 destroyed by fire in, at this very time. Six miles southeast of Samaria at Sheshem, level 3 is destroyed by fire at this time. Tirsa and Sheshem probably fell to Assyria, uh, to Assyria before Samaria did, because Samaria held out for three years, and these smaller towns could not. Further north, at Hazor, we have the destruction of level 5, attributed to Shalmaneser V. Level 6, immediately afterwards, have crude buildings, probably built by surviving Israelites. And level 3 has a massive Assyrian fortress. So we couldn't find Assyrian buildings in Samaria itself, but here we have a big one. And then something happens. In 722 BC, in the middle of this handling of the remains of Israel, Shalmaneser V mysteriously dies. Mysteriously? I, I, I assume you did that with air quotes? <laughs> no, we don't know anything. Uh, we don't usually get any information when Assyrian kings die. That's about to change, because we are, for the late Assyrian kings, we are getting this information. But remember, we don't know how Shalmaneser III died. We don't know how Ashurbanipal II sure. died. So Shalmaneser V just dies. And uh, then a new guy takes the throne. And it's Sargon II. <laughs> So now he starts taking over the show. I will not talk that much about him here because I will spend a full episode talking about the start of Sargon's reign. But I still have to talk about him because he's so <laughs> awesome. Uh, there was, of course, before the Assyrian Empire, the first Assyrian Empire, there was Sargon the Great of Akkad, the great ruler of the Akkadian Empire, the first builder of an empire in world history. And the Assyrians love to claim this guy as an Assyrian. Nobody really knows where Akkad was. And it's very likely that Akkad was somewhere pretty close to the Assyrian heartland. 
So the Assyrians shamelessly claim Sargon the Great. This is in 2000, it's before 2000 BC. But they're like, he was an Assyrian. So most people think that Sargon II, because this guy is pretty famous, calls himself Sargon II because of Sargon the Great of Akkad. But that's not true because there is a king, a very, very early king of Assyria called Sargon I. He ruled Assyria from 1920 BC to 1881 BC for 39 glorious years. And the only thing we know about Sargon I is that he refortified the ancient capital of Assyria, Asher. But we think there is a big reason why Sargon II claims this name as the king, because Sargon means Sarakuni. It means the true king, or the king is legitimate. And when you take a name like that, it probably means that you are not legitimate. I get the distinct so, impression that history is repeating itself even today. Hmm. I wonder. It is. Wonder what's going on. <laughs> I remember the line of the ancient kings of Assyria was so long, and we think we talked about this on this podcast that Tiglath Pileser III usurped the true line of Assyrian kings and took it over, setting a dangerous precedent. And now Sargon does the same. We will talk more about this in an upcoming episode. But I believe that Sargon II, no matter what he says, because he says a lot of stuff, that he is just a usurper that rebels against Shalmanes V and possibly kills him. He will claim to be the son of Tiglath Pileser III, just like Tiglath Pileser III claimed to be the son of Adad Nirari III. And uh, Maybe I should leave Sargon II here, but he will do so many things. So just a small trailer for what you will experience <laughs> now in the podcast. We will get a full battle description. Remember, the Assyrians never speak about what they actually do on the field of battle. But Sargon II will do that. He will describe his fantastic battle tactics. He will also be killed in action. Something that hasn't happened for a thousand years. We will encounter an enemy that could kill an Assyrian king. Nobody's ever succeeded in this. The Assyrian king is always there. He's right. always in the front line of battle, or possibly hiding at the very back <laughs> of the battle. But he never dies in battle. And Sargon will very epically die in combat. So he will take over this show for many episodes. The Seven Tens will be all about Sargon II. And one reason I love Sargon II is that he has these colorful enemies. He has three supervillains as his enemies. <laughs> and in 722 BC, one of them rises to power. We mentioned him before. He encountered Tiglath Pileser III and yielded to him immediately. It's Merodach Baladan, a Chaldean prince of the Bitya kin. And while the Assyrians are distracted, with Sargon's rise to power, Merodach Baladan seizes the kingship of Babylonia. He comes out of the sea land of the Chaldean heartland and takes all of Babylonia. And Merodach Baladan is incredible. He is the very best at surviving Assyrian attacks. <laughs> 
And this is, of course, his biblical name because he's a prominent figure in the Old Testament as Merodach Baladan. His real name as king is probably Marduk Apla Idina II. He's also referred to as Marduk Baladan, Baladan, or Berodak Baladan. But he will prove to be one of the greatest arch enemies of Assyria ever and one of the best kings of Babylonia. So Merodach Baladan, remember his name because he will be putting his finger in the eye of Sargon II all the time. <laughs> so if we were making action figures and we have Sargon II, we're definitely making one of Merodach Baladan. Yes. Awesome. And there will be at least two more action figures from the Sargon show. Yes. And one of them being King Midas himself. <gasps> King Midas? King Midas. He had a superpower. He did. <laughs> we'll talk all about that. There will probably be an episode of this show named King Midas. And let's go back to Judah then. Ahaz sitting there being pro-Assyrian in Jerusalem. He now has, he's a vassal of Assyria. There are Assyrian provinces on two of his borders. Damascus is an Assyrian province. Samaria is an Assyrian province. On every other border, he has other vassals. Uh, Tyre is still under siege from the Assyrian army in uh, the Phoenician uh, area of Lebanon. So Judah is, if you think that the Assyrians will keep conquering stuff, Judah is very much next in line. So you can't, A has survived this, but will Judah survive the uh, increased, the, the future conquests of the Assyrians? So we had the Tyre being under siege, and in 720 BC, this siege ends. And it doesn't end in the same way as the siege of Samaria. Because King Luli is still the king of Tyre. Wow. I have no idea how he does this. That's a, that's a feat. He was besieged okay. by Tiglath-Pelleser III, and now right. he was besieged by some Assyrians. We don't know who, really. But he strikes a deal with Sargon and uh, go, goes back to being an Assyrian vassal. How can they trust him? I have no idea. He's already revolted twice. And the Assyrians are not your not forgiving types. <laughs> right. I was about to say, man, his pinky swears must be the greatest of all time. Yeah, and he's not done revolting. He will revolt again <laughs> against the Assyrians. Wow. So then we move all over the world back to China. China's Whoa. almost left our story. I was about to say, we haven't talked about China in forever. No, we talked, the last time we really talked about China was when King Ping became the king of China. Right. The powerless puppet ruler of this new Eastern Zhou dynasty. And this was in 776 BC. And he has been the king. He was pretty young. Uh, when he became king, he's been the king for 56 years. And in 720 BC, he dies. And we don't really know anything about what he did. He probably just sat around and took orders from powerful nobles. Probably. But he's still of, of this royal line that you have to um, pay homage to. He's succeeded by King Huan of the Eastern Yo dynasty. King Ping has been ruling so long that his heir and son, King Chifu, has already died and never becomes the king. So he was just a prince, Chifu. So this King Huan is his grandson. 
And his given name was Lin, but he takes the throne as King Juan, and he also then has no uh, real future. He is just the puppet ruler of the Eastern Zhou. And that's it. That's all for this episode? Yes. Well, then next time, our next episode, we'll go to Greece, and we will talk about the epic Lelantine War. Yes, there is a reason I don't talk immediately about Sargon II here, because we have to mention the Lelantine War. The Greeks themselves said uh, that between the time of the Trojan War and the Peloponnesian War, there was only one war where all the Greeks were involved. And that was in the 8th century BC, in the Lelantine War. So we'll see what that is about. I'm intrigued. All right, folks, please go to YouTube, search up Fan of History, like and share our videos. Also, give us a review on iTunes or any of your favorite podcasting mediums. Um, and if there's one that we're not on, please give us, uh, let us know, and we'll try to get on there as well. Uh, Facebook.com slash Fan of History. Also, thefanofhistory.wordpress.com patreon.com slash fanofhistory if you like what we're doing and you want to hear us continue doing it please consider supporting us want to follow Dan on Twitter and get all the updates for when the episodes go up at Dan Horning and if you want to follow me I'm at Cerulean Says Hi so it looks like for this week I am Brennan and I'm Dan and this has been The Fan of History if you enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting us on Patreon, patreon.com slash fanofhistory. Just a dollar an episode would help us out. Thanks, and see you next time. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com.